0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I want to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 24. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece. Pretty cool, no? You can shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the US and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, amazing. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee if you don't absolutely love what you've chosen. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. Also worth a visit if you're just a I like shopping kind of person. It's a very cool location. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey. And to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk into the mall and you'll see the address on your right. My section that carries pieces from the Impact Fashion Collection is towards the back of the address. When you walk in, you're going to want to walk straight down the center aisle and make a left at Waterdale. I'm at the end of that row. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just to get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram at impact.fashion.myc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me, it's Rivky R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. Quits, and on today's show i sit down with a historian and educator to discuss her work she shares how having parents as social workers affected her outlook on the world what modesty and action means to her what it's like to have half a million eyeballs on you overnight and why calling out anti-semitism in progressive spaces is so important Jew and a Muslim walk into a bar. My friendship with Blair Imani Ali is the beginning of many, many, many bad jokes. But it's also probably surprising to no one, or at least it shouldn't be, that two religious women would hit it off so well, and I'm honored and grateful to have Blair in my life. We connected online and since then have worked together on a few different projects, which you'll hear us discuss here.
1: What was I like as a little kid? Okay, let me tell you that I think that I was adorable because I think that's what you're supposed to think, right? But also, I don't know if I would want to contend with myself as a little kid. Um, My parents are both social workers, and they taught me that anytime I spoke to an adult and they got angry at me about, you know, a question that I asked them, it was either me tapping into their own trauma or their lack of information. So- How old were you when they told you this? Too young, okay? Because like, you can't be giving- (laughs) kids the keys to the matrix and then asking them why they don't respect authority because I was like authorities made up you know like I was just like I was too in the sauce um and then I also I was the only black kid at my school growing up uh, other than my younger sister Chelsea and I took that as like a deep responsibility to be the spokesperson for like all of blackness. Like when I was older and Obama was running for president, I was like, I will become super versed in all of his policies, which was kind of a mistake because it made me less enthusiastic because I was like, <laughs> you know, like everybody was kind of just like on that, like kind of surface level hype. They were really like getting into the weeds. And I was like, this is exhausting. I don't like politics. Um, but I definitely would say I I was ambitious. I was definitely, a perceptive like I was very aware of how people perceived me and how I perceived other people almost to like an exhaustion point but um I don't know I was a lot I'm actually going to my 10-year um high school reunion tomorrow so I will be reminded of exactly how I was as a kid
0: are you freaking out for the 10-year reunion because someone figured out I think that we're around the same age I just turned 28 so yes,
1: so I'm 29 okay and someone figured 39. out
0: that so okay I graduated in twenty thirteen. Cause, uh, and someone figured out that like our tenure is coming up and then everyone, like uh, we have a, a high school group chat and people were like, we should make a reunion. And I literally, like I turtled, I was like, oh God, please don't make me do that. There's too much
1: stress. I mean, like, I don't know how many like rom-coms exist that talk about like your tenure high school reunion, but it's definitely part of like the cultural, like milestones you know like you get married you have kids you go to your high school reunion and it's terrible it's like not you just go like and it's terrible it's like a lot um, I'm nervous about it but I am really excited to kind of like, like be in my like I think I'm in a very like embodied version of myself like my, my mental health is together I'm like doing great with my career I'm not trying to fit in with the group of kids that don't even like me so it's like that excuse me that mental shift is very important. And I kind of want to see what I'm like in that dynamic as an adult.
0: Yeah, I can see that as like a very interesting social experiment. I had a weird experience where I talked about, I I was bullied as a kid in elementary school and I, and I, I talked about it. Uh, I was on my friend Barry Mitzman's podcast and, and we spoke about it back to school. I think it was two years ago now at this point. And what I knew would happen and what I was so not looking forward to was people who I went to elementary school with, like, reaching out and being like, oh, I had no idea this was happening. And wow, look what you became now. And like, like it was all so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable because like some of them were like girls who had hurt me and didn't realize that that was happening or just didn't realize that like the dynamic in the class was just not good and I think that like even though I had a fantastic high school experience and like my friends from high school are my like they are my they are my soul friends now like we go, you know go back and and all of that and it's so I'm just, I consider myself so lucky to have that but also it's like the big rooms and crowds it's definitely of people
1: cringe I get a lot of messages from people that are like hi Blair I don't know if you remember me and I'm like I don't ever say this, but I want to, I want to be like, I do remember that you've never spoken to me and that you specifically excluded me from stuff. But like, I'm just like, oh yeah, I do, hi. Cause it's not worth it to me to like relive my own trauma for this person's edification. Or you get this situation where somebody might think that they played a bigger role in your life than they didn't. It's like, yeah, I did have to go to my therapist a bunch because of you, but not necessarily positive things. But yes, going in with the mindset that it is specifically for science and for anthropology and for social you know, experimentation, that's why I'm going.
0: Uh, well, I hope you have a really good time. You mentioned that both of your parents were social workers and I know that you had a little bit of like, uh, let's say unconventional upbringing and I think that like part of the fact that they were social workers kind of ties into that how do you think that their job or like their outlook on the world affected your view of what the world is
1: definitely a hundred percent I think that I look at everything through the lens of like what's the bigger story what's the story behind it particularly like okay when I was a kid and I didn't get invited to birthday parties, inevitably, because, you know, that's, that's something that I think everybody goes through. My parents wouldn't be like, oh, it's because they don't like you. They wouldn't even entertain me kind of complaining about it. My parents would be like, look, there's this many kids in your school. Not everybody can afford to invite the entire class. so They're going to invite people that they hang out with regularly. Do you even hang out with Dora regularly? And I'd be like, not nah. And they'd be like, okay, so then maybe Dora's family or Dora herself decided that to save money, or just because like maybe you don't hang out, so you didn't get invited. And it has been so healthy for me because, you know, a lot of people have FOMO. And I still get FOMO. I'm not a perfectly ascended human being. Like that would be amazing. But my parents tried, it didn't happen. Um, but I think when it comes to uh like Okay, so there was just Art Basil or Art Basil. First of all, I don't know how it's pronounced. Why was I sitting up here being like, why didn't I get invited? Girl, you don't know how to say it, you know? Or a better example was when um, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye was doing a pop-up because they have a hair care company. First of all, I recently, I'm not going to show you, you've seen it, but I shaved my head. And the other thing is that when I did have longer hair, I was like, wow, well, why didn't I get invited to the pop-up? Probably because you don't show your hair in public, Blair. Like, what the heck, you know? Right. So I think that that, like, context setting has been really valuable for me. The other thing that I think is, like, the the opus of my parents, like, gift to me that I use on a regular basis is just recognizing that when somebody's being hateful to you, it's not you, it's them. And it's so great because I get that all the time. I get so many haters on a regular basis. People who are trying to, like, one-up me. People who are trying to, like, you, they're just trying to unnerve me. And so what I try to do is take a step back and I go, oh, okay, this person. Well, what I actually do is read the messages in Elmo's voice. Um,
0: so I, do you want to hear How did it? I not know that about you?
1: Um, I keep it under wraps, um, like my own can head, we, but no, can, anyway. Can we,
0: can we hear one?
1: Yeah. So I'll get a message and it'll be like, Miss Blair, Elmo wants to know why you're not talking more about Black justice. It's erasure, Miss Blair. You need to talk about Black people more. And I'll be like, Elmo. Okay, so Elmo's a four-year-old kid permanently. And I'm like, who? Elmo, Miss Blair is Black. So everything that Blair talks about is from that perspective and in service to that community just inherently. Oh, Elmo didn't know. Well, Elmo, it's in my bio. It's right. There. It says Black. Oh, okay. Elmo thinks you look different from the other black people that Elmo knows. But okay. Like, you know, just something like that. And it takes- First of, of all, you do a
0: fantastic Elmo. That's, a, that's an uncanny Elmo.
1: Let me tell you that I watch a lot of cartoons. And I kind of think that the reason why I started working with the Jim Henson company on this show that I'm developing is because I did a podcast or I did the Elmo voice. And I, I feel like that was why that Howie Stanford reached out to me.
0: I, I 100% believe that. I'm I'm curious because, like you mentioned that, like, oh, I don't look like other Black people. You are, you're lighter, I guess. You're lighter. Are, are you biracial? I don't even know.
1: Yeah, so my mom, so it's interesting. Okay, so, ooh, and I get to get to my family lore. Anyway, so when I was growing up, I would just walk around with a picture of my parents on deck all the time, because people would be like, explain. And I'd be like, here's a picture. And they'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Genetics. Um I think that, like, similar to how, Um, there's no one way to like look Jewish or be Jewish. I think that the black community is starting to come to this awareness more poignantly as well. Like there was a point where people didn't recognize that Mariah Carey was black and she's also mixed, but it's really interesting in the context of the US because there was the one drop rule. There's this idea that like, if you have any black ancestry, boom, you're black. And that was a lot for segregation reasons. Um, My mom is mixed race. Her father was uh, mixed and then her mother was white. So she's quite light. And then my dad, he's just kind of like a medley of like Black American excellence, you know, this like Black American community and culture. I came out probably a little bit lighter than folks expected. My mom definitely has expressed this Give me a complex, who knows, whatever. Um, but I think that it, it's really interesting because like I have always grown up being very proud of being Black. And it wasn't really till I got to college in Louisiana where there's more layers when it comes to talking about blackness that I was like oh well you know being the only black kid at school I felt like I was like the ambassador of blackness like I was like I know everything about this I know my culture and then I got to Louisiana and it was like okay but you need to check yourself because you look different than what you're supposed to like you know and I think that's also part of college. You have to figure out who you are. You have to figure out what that means for you in your own culture. I think that that's part of adulthood. You don't have to go to college for that to be your experience. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very proud of my community, my heritage. And I think that celebrating the diversity of of any community is super important.
0: Yeah, I was. it's so interesting when you talk about like how different communities view the diversity within themselves um i i was actually just having a conversation recently with someone about diversity within like within judaism and how we there is first of all obviously a diversity of race and how we look and all of that but there's also like we were talking about economic diversity within within the community and how all of these things affect the different ways that we practice and and how we live and it's it's really fascinating because like yes when i see a jewish person it's like welcome to the tribe, you know, come, we're, we're all here, you know, like we, we got Real it.
1: recognize real. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but you're not at the same time gonna, you know, there to still recognize that there are differences, even within that like overarching family. You mentioned that you were in college in Louisiana. Did you know what you wanted to do when you got to college? Or was it like a process? Because I know you now as an educator and as and a historian and like all of those very cool things. And I'm curious if you were like, I am doing this. This is what I'm going to be. Or was it a slower process?
1: Um, I'll definitely say that I went to college with the anticipation of being like a student activist and chaining myself to the dean's desk for justice about what I was open to. But I feel like I went to college with this perception that like you go to college with the training wheels of life, you can get into trouble and it has to be good trouble and like civil rights and, like I'm wearing my NAACP youth in college chapter hat as, as I record it, because it matches perfectly with my excellent Impact NYC dress. Thank you very much. You're um, very welcome. So, with the single dress.
0: Cozy.
1: so comfortable. Everyone should get it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was like, hashtag not sponsored. But no, I think that when I went to college, I was just like, you know, it's time to not to be super cheesy, but it's time to be impactful. You know, it's really time to like, make Yourself heard and to do that on behalf of others, and I think that I really got into that when I, you know, met somebody who had a really horrible childhood experience uh, related to their identity, and I was just so appalled by that that I was like, okay, well, let me reschedule my classes so that way I can volunteer and get out more, and you know, start going because Baton Rouge is the capital of um, Louisiana, and so all of the state representatives were you know had to meet there and i was like what an opportunity like i could i was already doing kind of like youth and government stuff in la and sacramento is so far from la so i was like i'm not going to the capitol so i felt like there were so many things that i could do in baton rouge as somebody who was interested in politics as somebody who was interested in advocacy and really get into that as far as what degree i was going to get something that didn't require math or science because i don't do good at math or science like at all um I started in political science and then I dropped out of that uh, degree program when they wanted us to read Rush Limbaugh, unironically. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, no. And then they wanted us to read Sean Hannity. And I was like, no, it's okay. So then I stuff? moved to Spanish.
0: You could read huh? them. I thought they you could read Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. I thought they just talk. They like they wrote books. I know, and right? Things? Apparently
1: they wrote books. Yeah. And cool. that was a signed reading. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, don't recommend still didn't read it. So it could be a great book that's very balanced. I'm just kidding. It's impossible. Um, and so I went to Spanish, uh, Spanish classes were super full. So I went to communications, the communications classes were super full. And then I went to history because the history classes were wide open. And it was also like, I think the best decision because my, uh, professor who's in charge of the history department, Dr. Stater he would put up with all of my antics. Like I would show up to class with protest posters and like some of the history teachers would be like, cut it out. And Dr. Stade would be like, mm, it's a free campus, it's a public school, get over it. Um, but the best thing, and you'll love this story because everybody seems to, is that to graduate, I had to do a capstone class and I had to do an unpaid internship, which I had moral feelings about, um, but it had to be at a museum. But all of the museums in that area our plantations so I was like Dr. Stater do I have to do an unpaid internship and he was like yes Blair I know that you have issues with it but it's part of the program I was like okay at a plantation and he was like well we're not going to be doing that we're not going to be sending our black students to go do unpaid internships at plantations. so I got to create a new program with the um, Odell S. Williams now and then African-American Museum where I met my um, my mentor Miss Sadie but yeah it was it was quite a journey and I feel like he gave me the most leeway
0: That is fantastic when you have someone who like really understands what it is that you need, especially when you're in college. And it's like this, you're, you need to shape the experience to do whatever it is that you want to do in life. And having, I was fortunate enough to have someone in the fashion department at Queens College, which is as tiny and small as you think it will be, um, who was also like very open to me kind of forming my own program there, which was very, very helpful in that way. I'm curious how... All of this, because you are currently a practicing Muslim. You mentioned you don't show your hair in public. You wear hijab and or hats like you're wearing now, whatever. You cover your hair. And you did not grow up that way. You um, grew up around very many Christian people. When I was actually going to a baptism, I frantically texted you and I said, what do I wear to a baptism?
1: <laughs> And I was like, I got you. I also grew up around like Jewish tradition too. My grandfather, who adopted my mother, so my mom was adopted by a black Christian woman and a uh, Romanian Jewish man. And he was kind of like very traumatized by the experience of his parents having to flee persecution in Romania, as so he doesn't practice. But he very much would like go to the deli, and like he wouldn't have, he wouldn't call it passover but we would definitely be eating all of the passover foods you know like that type i'm of so thing.
0: sorry for that all the pesach food with none of like the good pesach stories that's rough <laughs> i'm sorry i know but i then, apologize on behalf like, of it, all jews
1: and i think that that um you know it made me more curious about it because i was like why like why is this and it kind of gave me this compassion for people and like their trauma and their stories um but later on we were able to connect with his relatives um, which was hard to do because like he already had like a very small family, but you know, thanks to the magic of the internet, we were able to connect to some of his relatives in New York, which was really cool and like they had a different experience he he grew up in Detroit, but anyway, um, so we kind of had this medley definitely didn't grow up around a lot of Muslims, There were like a handful of folks at school, a lot of Egyptian Muslims, um and exclusively actually egyptian muslims and i would always walk with them during pe because i have really severe asthma it's actually better now but as a kid my lungs were like not breathing properly and so i would during pe i would just have to walk the laps because i couldn't do like the strenuous activities everybody else was doing and during ramadan i would suddenly have a whole bunch of people walking pe with me because they were fasting and i I, like during that i got to like learn about it like I had friends who, you know, like there's, there's, I feel like more understanding around fasting now where it's like, if you have an eating disorder, you don't have to fast. Like if you are sick or like pregnant, like you don't have to fast. Um, But I feel like the kids were like trying to find the corners. Like, oh, I'm just going to wash my mouth out with water and I'm not swallow. That's fine. Like there was like those like little hacks that people were telling me about. Um, But it made me have this like understanding. And then I also remember very vividly, like after 9-11, my Uh, one of my classmates, Hassan, his mom came in and taught us about the five pillars of Islam. And we all did this like little like homework activity where we had to draw the five pillars of Islam. And in the fifth pillar, when it was talking about Hajj, I I wrote in the margins, I was like, one day I want to be Muslim. And so I forgot about that, obviously. I go to college, I convert to Islam, baffle my mother. My mom was like, where did that come from? Oh, wait, I do know. And then she pulled out that homework assignment that I did and was like, it was foretold.
0: Pull it oh, wow. out your mom like, had a homework assignment it. that you had done like years earlier
1: my mother has every homework assignment that I've ever done that involved construction paper or arts and crafts it's kind of a problem it's kind of a fire hazard to be honest
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe you I believe you I'm impressed that like she knew where it was and could like pull it out and that it's not just piles of paper
1: oh yeah no it is in bins they're organized if there's one thing my mom is it's organized and I don't know where I get it or where, where I don't have that part of me um but yeah she pulled it out and she was like boom boom there you go she can't find the picture of me being traumatized on Santa's lap because I really wanted to use that in a lesson about why it's better to dress up as Santa it was too high concept I'm glad I didn't post it because I don't need the like super Christians coming after me but any more than I already do but um she couldn't find that so she can only find stuff that doesn't make her look like a you know,
0: questionable parent, which makes sense.
1: I would get rid of that stuff. I too.
0: support that filing system. <laughs> I, I, su- I 100% support that filing system. Did you find that once you converted to Islam and became more outwardly looking Muslim, you know, with, with your hijab and all of that, did you find that people treated you differently?
1: Um. So the way that people learned that I was Muslim was when I got arrested at the protest in Louisiana. I'm in a hijab short sleeves and short shorts why it was very hot and i was about to die i thought because there were so many police like i think that a lot of folks have seen pictures from the capitol i believe that there were more police on the residential street where we got arrested than there were at the capitol riots can
0: you provide a little bit capitol. of context for what you're talking about just so that people oh yeah understand what's let happening. me
1: back it up my apologies i'm like really in the weeds now because in a few weeks um we have a lawsuit Uh, against the city of Baton Rouge, but so in 2016, there was, you know, kind of a racial uprising like like what we saw in 2020, I think on like a smaller scale specific to Minnesota and um, if that's even right, um, but specific for me to Baton Rouge and because I was such a rabble rouser and advocate when I was in Louisiana, Um, A lot of the students that were organizing protests for Alton Sterling, who was killed for, you know, being outside, I think, of a convenience store and selling CDs or something super innocuous. Um, When that happened, a lot of the students were like, where will you like, you know, can you help us out? And then I eventually decided to come. It was a very peaceful protest to the ones that the kids put on. People were high-fiving cops, hugging them. Taking pictures with the squad cars, it was very wholesome. And then things went, you know. And then, you know, um, uh, defecation hit the proverbial fan, and <laughs> it just went to mess. And um, my my spouse Atlas was there, being a legal observer. And we ended up just trying, in the course of trying to make sure that everybody got home safely, ended up getting arrested ourselves. Um, now, when this happened, I was helping the of student organizers get pressed for the event because I, you know, having studied communications and history, if there's no coverage, it might as well not have happened, you know? So I, my name was on top of all the press releases that were sent out. So across the lawn from where I'm getting arrested is like AP Reuters, Getty, like all of the different photography agencies, like the time is Picayune. And uh, so when I get arrested and I hear one of the officers very menacingly say, um, well, let me let me add a little complicating factor. The person who was in charge of defusing the riots was the father of the officer who shot Alton Sterling. So oh, I feel like there okay. was like, yeah, an extra layer of vendetta. The other thing is that they were basically busing in um, officers from rural parts of Louisiana with the incentive of you to go well in at least in my opinion harass these people so it was like a whole other stuff anyway so when this like kind of like out of the city officer comes to me and arrest me they said really give it to her and I was like oh what don't know what that means I'm gonna scream and it wasn't like a logical like it wasn't like a decision I made I was just like I'm gonna die and as I said that the b-roll of me scre- the, that, that video of me screaming the images of me like being elevated off the floor that ends up being the intro to like every news story um about the protests and so that kind of put me on like this level so it was weird because I was just living authentically I wasn't like oh I'm gonna go in with a super modest outfit I was still figuring out like what modesty meant to me I had wrapped my hijab in a way that I wasn't going to, like, if I got, like, pepper sprayed or something, I could, like, cover my face, or if they tear gassed us, and there was this big debate online about, like, hmm, Blair, definitely living Muslim values, but not wearing Muslim clothes, and so that's kind of what my foray was into it immediately, on, like, that big scale, but then on, like, that micro scale, when I first converted, I think that a lot of my friends in college were just like,
0: that makes sense. That's such an interesting dichotomy that you know that that it was that you have all of this immediate public pressure were you already kind of like an online figure at that point totally not
1: I was at best an Instagram model I was like posting little like cute little pics with like my sunglasses and my hijab as I'm like mid-stride walking through DC because <laughs> <laughs> I lived in DC at the time I was working at Heineken before I ended up working at a reproductive care organization I worked at Planned Parenthood and communications. Um, And it was so strikingly different from what I do now. Like, it was very surface. Um, And it was so funny because I think two years before I kind of, before the arrest and everything, I interned for this lady. uh, And she was an influencer. And she told me that I could never do Instagram and politics and expect to be successful. Oops. So when I had more followers than her in 2020, I was like... (laughs) (laughs)
0: karma's Um, a bitch honey
1: (laughs) it is it is and her name is blair no i'm kidding but um that was definitely uh i was i knew that social media could be a tool for change because we saw that with like the hashtag you know blm we saw that with a variety of different movements but i wasn't really applying it to myself i wasn't taking it super seriously but then after the protest i definitely started like running my mouth on twitter specifically because it was like you know it was just such an important moment um, to discuss things because the police would be telling like inaccurate stories and we, we could easily reach out to the the news, like the reporters and be like, actually, this is what actually happened. Can you report it correctly?
0: Right. I'm curious, like we've alluded to this a handful of times. I don't know if we've actually even said this out loud, but now you are um, a, an Instagram. I don't even want to call you like an influencer, even though that is part of what you do, because that is not, I mean, it's not the whole of what anybody is, but it's, I feel like specifically in your case where you have so many other projects that go on, um, you're probably most well-known for Smarter in Seconds, which is a, um, they're these, the the title is so freaking fantastic because they are these short little videos about a variety of any, basically any topic that you could think of where you just do these little educational bits about, you know, Different topics. Um, and I was fortunate enough to um, be in a few lessons with you. We did one on modest clothing. We've done one on uh, the, our most recent one that we recorded was not everyone celebrates Christmas, which was fun. Um, and all of with with all of these like little through these little videos. And I think it was specifically in 2020 when there was like all that movement after unfortunately George Floyd George Floyd was killed. Um, it like it got a lot. You had a lot of attention very quickly all at once. And I'm curious how that affected you, how that felt, particularly like in this context of modesty and kind of just like living your own life and doing your own thing and doing the good work. And then all of a sudden there are half a million eyeballs on you.
1: Oh, I mean, as you said that I was definitely getting chills because I think you summarized it very smarter in second style. And that's why I will continue to cast you <laughs> and wear your outfits in them because you totally get that vibe. I think that's very much what you do with your work as well as like explain to people like why you're not gonna wear sphinx when you're showing out how showing off how your outfits look and why that matters. And like it's just that little bits of education. I think that one of the best things that happened to me before I went viral was two things meeting with my mentor um uh feminista Jones who I actually she's gonna be interviewing me for a magazine soon. I'm like, oh my god, that's, that's fantastic. Um but she told me in 2014 that if you decide to become a public figure, because it's a decision, it doesn't just happen to you. Some people think it just happens. But like, if it does, it means you're not being very deliberate. But she told me, if you are your job, and you hate your job, you will hate yourself. And so everything you put out has to be deliberate. And this was in 2014, when I was just trying to get started. And I was trying to like figure out where I fit in in the matrix. And the other thing that I'm really proud of is so when I worked at Planned Parenthood, I had a lot of grants that were like very, um, like very good for the community, like helping people get free health care and stuff, but I couldn't post about it because it was a HIPAA violation. Like it was, it would make people unsafe. And I'm so grateful that I went through this period of writing articles about being a Muslim in America, being a black woman in America, but simultaneously being unable to talk about the good deeds I was doing working at Planned Parenthood. And I'm so grateful for that because I think that's an aspect of modesty that a lot of people don't consider is that modesty isn't just wearing clothes that are less revealing or less skin revealing as we said in our lesson, but it's also about how you conduct yourself you can't be you know like, uh, I think that in the uh, there's in like Jewish uh, tradition and also in Muslim tradition like you know when you do a good deed and you talk about it it's like letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing like It's like, you have to keep that private. And I think that that through line of modesty, not only in your clothes, but in your conduct is something that I was able to like really learn. So when I get half a million eyeballs on me, I was so ready for it. I was very irritated at first because I was like, it wasn't just that people were following me. It's that there were people who were, okay, I feel like this was similar to what was happening maybe last year uh, when there was a lot of anti-Semitism especially in liberal spaces, not was, it continues to be a thing. But, you know, when people were talking about what was happening in the Gulf and then those same people, when a certain celebrity starts being very anti-Semitic, are now being like, this is unacceptable. And it's like, Thank you for your support, but also can you work on yourself? And so that's how I was very much feeling in 2020 over the course of this week where people were, you know, Blair, I have some ideas for what the NAACP needs to do to end slavery. I mean, to end, to end racism, to end these harms. And I'm like, okay, the NAACP has been around for over a hundred years. Maybe you figure out what they're doing and you get on board with them. So I was very irritable, but after I kind of got off that initial reaction and it's so funny, I look at my old posts when I first went viral and I was so much more aggressive than I am now. Now I'm like, I feel like in that moment, if I knew what I was going to be like now, I'd be like, what the heck happened? Um, But one of the first things that happened was that this cohort of amazing black women, uh, influencer, educators, creators, Color Me Courtney, who is just a ray of sunshine in a gloomy, gloomy world. Um, And uh, it's me, Kelly B. They really came to me and they were just like, hey sis, we, we know that you followed us for a minute. It's like your time to shine. How can we support you? How can we help you? And Color Me Courtney is actually the person who named Smarter in Seconds. It was going to be called Quarter Minute Lessons. And she was like, girl, I have an MBA. Oh, no, I have an MBA in marketing. Don't make people do math in the title. I don't even like math. Why would I do that? And it was because Reels were 15 seconds at the time. So my first Smarter in Seconds were 15 seconds. But because I had all these different, like, Black women elders supporting me and kind of this like undercurrent of spite for people who didn't believe in me because I'm a Scorpio and that's how I function it was like the perfect confluence of me being very ready to meet the moment and having the perfect amount of people around me that were supporting me and like helping me root um but there were a lot of people who like they went viral and they were like okay I'm logging off I don't like this I don't want this but I didn't have to deal with that because this is something I had been working toward and I was so grateful because I was like even though as you said it was a super horrible circumstance that made people pay attention to racism with the killing of George Floyd. I felt honored that I could be a voice to help people understand what was happening. And then also at that time, I started to realize how important it is to talk about anti semitism in the context of talking about white supremacy, because they are so like, you know, inextricably linked with, and I mean, I'm preaching, but I think that that was really when I had a shift in not just fighting for racial equality, but also gender equality, uh, for people to love who they want to love to be who they want to be, but also to fight anti-Semitism as a framework for what all of these systems of harm are underpinned by. So it was really a great way for me to step into not just being an advocate, but being an ally to communities that I'm not a part of, but also like constantly checking in and listening as best as I can
0: right and i i mean i've had this conversation with you privately and all of that you know how you know how meaningful it is i can speak for jewish people or i'll speak for this jewish person um it's very tricky when you are uh, and i think that you experienced this also as a muslim woman where if when when you take these progressive spaces that hold some values that you relate to and there are definitely progressive values that i subscribe to and there are definitely progressive values that i'm not a fan of but nothing is you know nothing is 100% nothing is black and white it is so I'm different. black and white sorry <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> i'm so glad that we got to do this podcast because i don't think that people realize how freaking funny you are and i'm very Thank excited you. for people I'm to actually realize a goofball. that
1: but anyway no you were talking yes. about serious stuff it's let's
0: like- let's I'm reading it in. I'm reading it in. I will not laugh for the next five seconds um but either way this when you have these space like i know that in most progressive spaces as an orthodox jewish woman i am at best grossly misunderstood and at worst not wanted and so you end up just saying like okay fine you're gonna do your progressive thing over there and you are going to wish the destruction of my people and i'm just gonna stay in my corner and do my thing and i'm curious what that was like for you to navigate because you are very much involved in these movements and also so, very re- recognition. You, you recognize that's English. You recognize the um, the hate that exists in some of the most progressive groups, not only towards. Um, I mean, most obviously, I will say towards Jewish people. If anybody could think of anyone, oh, else, very progressive people towards Jewish people. Right. So, yeah. how does how does that like how do, do you bother to reconcile it? Do you just call it out? What does that look like for you? So,
1: I think the biggest thing as some so I grew up again with the social worker parents and they would always tell me that if you are part of something and you feel like you have to compromise who you are for that you don't participate and that has to do with aspects of Islam like I, I don't think I'll ever go on Hajj because I have such distinct disagreement with the um Saudi Arabian government I won't what go when Hajj like is for pilgrimage. anyone who might not know yeah yeah um Hajj smarter in second it's a pilgrimage to Mecca uh which is part of Saudi Arabia Mecca's People a place for anyone it's who's not familiar yeah, it's become a a huge uh, industry, and it's supposed to be. It's one of the pillars of Islam. You know, we have Ramadan, we have fasting, we have you know paying zakat, which is um, you know uh you know our charity. But one of those pillars is Hajj, and I don't think and and you can do Hajj, but there's all these you know kind of caveats for like if you're disabled or if you can't. And for me, I can't because I feel like it would compromise more my morals to participate in funding a government that is so harmful, not only to its own people, but to like other communities. So for me, I try to, you know, I, I'm i a Muslim, but I'm my own person, right? I'm a, a progressive, but I'm my own person. And I have also found that the people who are outwardly and openly anti-Semitic and do so in this way that is quote unquote, tolerated or allowed, um, they are also against other aspects of me. They're against, um, they are, They tend to be extremely homophobic. They tend to be extremely classist. And um, it's like, I think that there are some people in the progressive spaces, I don't, I don't think, I know there are people in the progressive spaces who they don't want to get free. They want to duplicate systems of harm. So they just don't wanna be the last person. And I had this hilarious, but also kind of insightful discussion about if oppression is a bear that you're being chased by in the forest then some people are just trying to push down their their slowest friends so that the bear doesn't get them and there was a jewish woman who added in the comments and she's like well a lot of people can't even see the bear that's chasing me because all they see me as is a white person all they see me as is this and i was like that's an amazing layer to add to it and i think that just growing up and seeing how my grandpa kind of suffered in silence not even being able to claim his jewish identity because of his own trauma seeing how erased anti-Semitism and how historicized anti-Semitism is I think that as, as somebody who tries to think the best of people a lot of it is a lack of education so I try to plug in with the lack of education but if people continue to or if people at any point demonstrate an unwillingness to learn and be compassionate I can't mess with them and I think it's always good to not just sign on you know like the that saying vote blue no matter who no don't vote for people who are anti-Semitic don't go along with what the like, you know, the waves are saying. Like, make sure that you're thinking critically about every decision about who you're supporting, what you're doing, because that's how some of the worst, the worst atrocities continue: is people blindly following, um, or uncritically following things that they're expected to agree with, and not being like, "Hey, actually, I have fundamental opposition to this." And it's not always the popular thing, but it's usually the necessary thing.
0: Right. I think that also when it See, it's so funny because I actually really don't like talking about anti-Semitism in general, and I don't talk about anything like this online because, frankly, I'm not sure how safe it is, and I am not willing to put myself and my family in that position. So, like, hi, come to me online for all of your body positive needs, and, like, yes, I'm Jewish. And also,
1: you shouldn't be expected to do it. It's like, not every Black woman needs to talk about race and anti-racism. Not every Do you feel that pressure? Because I
0: definitely feel it sometimes.
1: I feel, so I have always felt that pressure, but I'm also, I grew up doing pageants. So I think (laughs) like, it's that mix. I grew up being the only black kid at my school. I didn't have to decide to do a black history moment every time it was February. I felt like there wasn't curriculum. I felt like I wasn't being seen and that was important to me. And so I took on this responsibility of like, even when we were talking about, this is the most hilarious blast from the past we were talking about the OJ case in high school because I was in like a lot of different like, like, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer. I even dropped out of law school. But um, I actually had one of my dad's friends who worked on the case come and speak to class. So I was always like, okay, how can we have more expansiveness? Now, I'm not saying that OJ was part of Black history that I was trying to educate people about that. I feel like I said those two things too close in succession. But anyway, thank you for the
0: clarification. um,
1: I have yeah. Anytime. And so I have always been somebody who like was that kind of person to be like, Hey teacher, you forgot to assign us homework on the weekend. Like I've always been that, like I want to learn. I have like this voracious desire to like know things and to learn and to grow. And I think that there are a lot of people who feel pushed into that position. But I think as somebody who is black and who is lighter skinned, I'm acutely aware of how I sometimes have access to faces or ears that, or eyes that, others might not have and I love the I I I do feel very honored to be able to and I and I love doing it like I love when people when we did that lesson on modesty there are people who are like oh I didn't know that orthodox Jewish women wear wigs as a way to show modesty or that there were so many parallels between this like boom we get to do it like at a time when people are just now figuring out how they can fit Jewish people into their activism. I'm like, I already got that, you know, like, let me continue to like, be the person I always want to be some, I always want to do things that I'm proud of. I think there's a lot of people who act like they can live in a utopia where they don't have to interface with anybody they disagree with. And that's just not true. And my thing is like, if I can't have the same conversation with people in my life that I'm having online, that I don't have integrity. Um, I'm doing this double speak, And I think the biggest thing for me is that there's not Blair Amani the influencer and Blair Amani the person. I'm the same person. Um, and I always want to be proud of what I do. And so that responsibility is something that I really enjoy. But I think it's unfair for folks who don't want to. Like if, if you want to focus on fashion and body positivity, that's your prerogative. It's actually anti-Semitic to force people who are Jewish to talk about it. It's right. anti-Black it's... to make Black
0: women talk about racism. Right. It's, it's so interesting because I'd only recently heard it phrased that way. Um, because I was actually, and it's funny because I've actually spoken about this on the podcast so many times. When I started this podcast, there are a ton of Orthodox podcasts, there are a ton of like Jewish podcasts and all of that. And I very specifically was like, this is not a Jewish podcast. I am making this the least Jewish podcast possible. And then I, you know, I release an episode every week, and my network is mostly Jewish people. So my, like the guests all ended up being Jewish people. So it became like sort of a Jewish podcast and all the Jewish people are like, this is fantastic. We have a great Jewish podcast. And I'm like, great. But I don't want to talk about like, I don't want to, I don't want to put myself in a, first of all, from a safety perspective, I don't want to put my, like I have friends whose comment sections are all like go die in an oven. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to expose myself to that. I'm not going to put myself through that. I have family members who have survived said ovens and I'm not doing that. Um, And also I just felt like, in my, the, the, for me, the biggest impact that I can have when it comes to like this whole, you know, there's nothing more that a Nazi hates than an Orthodox Jewish woman just living her best life doing her thing. Do you know what I mean? That is like my biggest F you to every Nazi past Absolutely. and present. So that, that was how I approached all of this. And I did get a little bit of pushback. It, there have been times when, um, why aren't you talking about this specific thing happening in Israel? Why aren't you talking about, you know, why haven't you posted a blue square? Why aren't you talking about rising anti-Semitism? And, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. Cause I don't think people expect that from me. They know what they're getting. You know, it's like you, you put out into the world what you're talking about and people know that like, I'm not where you go for your political things, um. But it's just not my job and it doesn't and it doesn't have to be my job. And I'm glad it's not my job because it's yours and you're so much better at it than I am.
1: (laughs) Thanks. I will say that I get pushback from people who do want me to talk about like, Blair, why did not you talk about Ukraine? Blair, why don't you talk about, you know, Israel? Why don't you talk about Palestine? And my thing is, I don't want to or or, why don't you talk about police brutality? Like, even when I went viral, I wasn't talking about like a play by play of the case against the officers that killed George Floyd, because And I don't talk about slavery, because it's like, I don't have to. And I think that pigeonholing people in those ways can be so harmful, because, you know, I want to live in the world that I'm trying to create. I'm not trying to exhaust myself. I'm not trying to be miserable. And like Feminista Jones said, like, if you are your job, and you hate what you do, you will hate yourself. And I don't want to tap into that resentment. I have been that person before. Like, I have been you know, on the edge of posting the video of me crying. I was literally sitting on the couch editing the video and my spouse Atlas came up, took the phone and was like, honey, if you need this to process your feelings, that's fine, but please do not post this. And it's like having that support system of people who are like, hey, there will be people who want nothing from you, but like blood and tears. And there are some people who want to do that. I'm not interested in being a martyr. I'm interested in living my best life and educating people along the way, but not at my expense.
0: I I could not agree more with that. Like I could not put a higher like here, here, second, all of the things on that whole sentiment. Um, if there was one thing that you want people to know about Smarter in Seconds, what would it be? Aside from the fact that the outfits, the fashion on Smarter in Seconds is so good. And also this one, this is specifically for my Orthodox listeners. If you are old enough to remember the era of shells, And when we needed to layer things and when there wasn't as many modest fashion options, then go watch Smarter in Seconds purely for the color matching genius that is Blair's hijabs and her outfits. There are so many good times where as someone who spent so long trying to color match a shell to a dress, I am like, damn, that hijab is the perfect color. And that was literally the first thing my mom said when she saw your videos, by the way
1: that I love that um I honestly love when people when I get reactions from people's moms um one thing that I'll say for smarter in seconds is like that's my primary source of income now which is so cool um like I get I'm doing a lesson on um sex positivity with my mom that's gonna go up uh it's gonna go up today this is the 22nd um and it's just mind-boggling because smarter in seconds was like my magnum opus like my best work and I didn't even realize it (laughs) I was like Wow, I've been profiled by the New York Times and I'm still doing these things the New York Times who's on my shit list because I don't know if you saw recently what they did with it they're just they're being an anti-semitic mess which
0: which it's is their usual everyone was so them. surprised yeah with like the latest and I was like people we know our customers this is they like I wasn't even impressed toilet. literally literally yeah, that
1: was a mess so some, I will be excited about that
0: Yes. If somebody wants to um, learn more about you, see a Smarter in Seconds, get to know everything that is Blair, where can they go?
1: They can go to at Blair Money. I'm also getting my website redone, which is really exciting. Um, but wait, so let me cut that gap about the whole New York Times thing. But I'll just say if there's one thing I want people to know about Smarter in Seconds is that I take it super seriously. I edit, you know, everything myself. I have an amazing research team. And I try to always make sure that if I'm making a bold claim that it's backed up by like, Research And that means that I'm like finding out where the research was from and who funded it. Cause at the end of the day, I did take a journalism class or two and I do take my work very seriously, but you can just check out, you can just Google smarter in seconds. Um, you can go on my page on Instagram and in the new year, I'm going to create this system for my website where you can actually just look up uh, by subject smarter in seconds. That so it's on YouTube awesome. too. If you don't want to get onto Instagram.
0: That is fantastically awesome. And I will also just back it up as someone who has been a part of the like Smarter in Seconds creation process for two videos so far, the ones that we um that we've done together. The meticulousness of the scripts, I was honestly impressed with, especially because I'm someone who does nothing scripted. So it actually took me a minute where like I when we did the first one, I recorded it several times because I was like, I sound like a robot. This is so weird for me to be scripted. But I so appreciated the meticulousness of the wording, like particularly when we were discussing different ways that, you know, that Orthodox women cover their hair and how we like your whole team. Oh, yeah, was... we
1: did a back and forth to like, there's a whole so back thing and I always ask is like, if you have the lived experience and that expertise, because lived experience itself is expertise, and I write something and you're like, actually, this doesn't gel with what I would say. I'm like, please, let's improve it. And I think it's so important to empower people to do that. And it makes it better, and I learn stuff, which is the whole point. A lot of it is a smarter insight. Sec- like, there's a lot of smarter in seconds that I just needed to hear, so I made it for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's half this podcast. It's literally just people who I want to talk to. <laughs> that's 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 how the best I stuff that. I think um, I think gets made. Blair, what does it mean to you to make an impact?
1: Ooh, to me, I think the best way to make an impact isn't to like go into a space and think you have all the solutions, but to really like show respect and humility and modesty. And how you do that, like trying to meet people with where they are, trying to meet people's needs and just be a compassionate human being um, and treat every interaction, if possible, as an opportunity to just like live your values. Um, and I think that's what being impactful is. It doesn't always mean being the most popular person or the most known person, but like, you know, the kind in it, the kindest person, the most compassionate person. Those are the things that that really make an impact.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Blair. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Blair, her links are in the show notes. Oh, and that lawsuit she mentions in our conversation just last week, she and the 14 other plaintiffs won a $1.17 million mid-trial settlement. On the last episode, I went solo to talk about my first retail location. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, a building line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover arc. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash parties The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Riffy Edzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.